Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. The deal is finally signed to renovate Hamilton's downtown arena. Ontario's finance minister and NDP leader share their thoughts on Ontario's economy. Plus, new home construction, a bike lane gaffe, and playoff time in the CFL. The GMH podcast begins now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. It is finally signed and sealed and, well, soon to be delivered, I guess. City of Hamilton, Hamilton Urban Precinct, Entertainment Group and Oakview Group have finally rubber-stamped their agreement to renovate First Ontario Centre. Yes, Hamilton's downtown arena. This is a $280 million project. It's going to include, well, a bunch of new things. New concourses, suites, clubs, a better sound system, a new restaurant, and a lot of other amenities that fans of concerts and sporting events will enjoy. PJ Mercanti is the president of the Hamilton Urban Precinct Entertainment Group and joins us once again on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. PJ, you must be smiling this morning. Very happy and great song choice to, to lead in, Rick. Uh, is it also a bit of a sigh of relief to get this done? Because it's taken a while. It definitely is sigh of relief. Uh, you know, it's been a weight on, on uh, my back and our partner's back for the last, uh, last many months. And, and we always had the faith and knew that yesterday's announcement was possible. That's what we were working towards. And, 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 and you, we knew that aligning with Oakview Group would, would elevate the, the investment and elevates the sophistication of the arena renovation that would make the entire community proud. So we're genuinely grateful for, for the patience that Ham- Hamilton and, and city staff and council have had in us and in the process. Uh, but it was definitely a, a good day yesterday for Hamilton and for the future of, of downtown. Why did it take so long? Was this, was this inflation at play? Were there some investor jitters? Did, were there too many questions from the city? Did you have second thoughts? What, what was happening? No, it just it, a really big and complicated, multifaceted deal with, you know, different tentacles, different moving pieces and parts. Uh, and, and so there was always, you know, a, a strong desire to, to, to get a deal done. So there was never wavering on the part of anybody at any point. It was just, it just took a lot of T's to cross, a lot of I's to dot. Um, and, and it's a generational project too. So it's, you know, this, you know, it was a, we wanted to make sure that we got it right. Uh, and as a result of that, you know, a lot of legal, uh, turns back and forth, a lot of discussions, but there was always the resolve to get to where we got to yesterday. Um, and, and all the partners uh, have been committed to this from the initial announcement when we brought on Oakview Group, uh, you know, y- y- just over two years ago. And so, so we're excited for this next chapter, but we are delighted and relieved that this last chapter is done. Now the real fun work begins. Um, you know, as much as, you know, pouring through lots of, um, you know, documents, uh, is, is important. The fun stuff is, is what we get to do next, which is actually starting the renovation uh, and getting to work. Well, let's talk about that fun stuff with our guest, PJ Mercanti, president of the Hamilton Urban Precinct Entertainment Group. As you tune in to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, when does it all begin and what are some of the first things and some of the major things that will be done? So work is going to start relatively soon, meaning the next couple months, while the Toronto Rock and, and other events are taking place. There is a massive undeveloped concourse that the public has never seen. It's going to be a wonderful, um, you know, revelation once, once everybody can see this, the potential of this undeveloped concourse. Uh, and so we will be sharing more information about that with the public because I think it's, it's, it's mind-blowing, and, 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 but a wonderful opportunity to develop something that's 
uh, could be so well activated. Uh, so some work will begin, uh, you know, early uh, in the new year. And once the rock season is done, there will be a full shutdown. So that way the work on the interior bowl could happen. And it's going to be, you, you know, as you mentioned in, in the outset, there's going to be new premium seating, um, upgraded concourses, new clubs and suites, very similar to what Tim Hortons Field offers, right, where they have the, the, the club suites, they have the, 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 the more enhanced um, private boxes, but then they have a lot of other concourse, uh, concourses built out and activation zones uh, throughout the venue. So it'll be very similar to that. And Oakview Group has a track record of moving quickly. The Baltimore Arena Project, they got it done in 11 11 months. Uh, and so their team, who were all here in Hamilton yesterday for the announcement, their construction team, uh, their their other uh, you know planners, they're ready to rock and roll. Uh, and so we're we're excited to to get to work uh, and uh, and do something special for Hamilton. And this timeline is 12 to 14 months. So the goal is to have the uh, the arena reopened for September of 2025. So so once the full shutdown happens. It'll take the 14-month uh, window, but you know, with you know Tim Lewicki, who who was here in Hamilton yesterday, uh, he's bullish on the market and he wants to to potentially get this done quicker if possible. Uh, and and the good thing about the the you know longer um, negotiation period is that the more spent time in design of documents, the less time you need in constructions for change orders and other. Um, you know, other uh, interruptions that happen throughout the construction process naturally. So because the architects and the construction team have had more time to study the arena and more time to, to work on the drawings, they've actually got a much better set of drawings that should fast track and accelerate a renovation. The projected opening of September 2025, the Brantford Bulldogs, who used to be the Hamilton Bulldogs, once played at First Ontario Centre, they'll still be in Brantford at this time. Is the plan to wait out that year and see where they're at when their lease agreement ends with the Brantford Civic Centre? Or are you planning to have a, a hockey team or another sporting team in the facility by September 2025? Well, Tim, Tim Lewicki mentioned yesterday, and it's uh, it's you know very true that there have been there are going to be conversations and have been some conversations with Mr. Andlauer. He's obviously got his you know a lot going on with his Ottawa team and with the Brantford uh, relocation. But when he's ready to to talk about hockey in Hamilton, we're going to have the chat and discussion with him first and and explore different options. Uh, you know, obviously he owns. Uh, an AHL team with the acquisition of the Senators. He has an OHL team with with the, with the Bulldogs, and so we want to have a discussion with Mr. Andauer about what what he'd like to do, what makes sense for for the, um, uh, the 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 various teams, and and you know both you know the Bulldogs and the Toronto Rock. They've represented the city well, um, and you know great play championships, and so we genuinely do want to have robust sport activation, uh, but we will look forward to good discussions with Mr. Ann Lauer when he's ready. Last one, we got about 45 seconds. Will we still call it First Ontario Centre, or are the naming rights up for grabs? Well, you know, First Ontario will, I'm assuming, will forever remain a part of, of, of the downtown project. They've invested so much in, the, in, the, you know, in these assets over the years, and, and Joanne Battaglia and her team, Lloyd Smith, their CEO, 
we've got a great relationship with them. And so we, we are having conversations with First, First Ontario. We're having lunch. Uh, Oakview Group and I are having lunch with Joanne uh, next Friday. And so we're looking forward to having discussions about the best platforms for them to, to align with the project. Um, you know, whether that is their name on the building or, or other forms of activation. But we're going to have very open, uh, transparent conversations with uh, First Ontario and Joanne and look forward to having them be a partner in some capacity moving forward. You know, their name is on the concert hall and it will be on the concert hall. Uh, and so we're going to have a discussion uh, with them uh, about, about the, the, you know, their thoughts on the future of the arena. But Nothing but love and respect for First Ontario. Mr. Mercanti, as always, thank you for your time. Enjoy the day and the weekend. No, thank you, Rick. PJ Mercanti is the president of the Hamilton Urban Precinct Entertainment Group with big plans to reno the downtown arena. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Ontario tabling its fall economic statement, and it shows that the path to balance, well, this is put on pause for a second. We can't do that this year. There are, however, some items that is showing how our province plans to tackle some of the biggest issues that we're facing. We need more long-term care beds. We need more energy gener- power generation. We need more transmission and storage. We need more health care. Uh, we, uh, we need more of everything. That is Finance Minister Peter Bethlen-Falvey and uh, delivering his fall economic statement yesterday. It includes a plan to launch an infrastructure bank to pay for the laundry list of things that he was just talking about. And Minister Bethlen-Falvey joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Peter, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm great. Happy Friday to you. Same to you. Our, uh, maybe we'll start with the projected deficit. It has quadrupled to more than $5 billion. What happened? Well, first off, uh, you know, we have a trillion-plus economy and a $200 billion budget. So, you know, not the direction I want it to go, but uh, well within our means. Um, you know, we, we live in a world with economic uncertainty and, and geopolitical risks, and economic forecasters have been downgrading uh, their forecasts uh, uh, in terms of economic growth uh, in the latter half of 2023 and, and into 2024. So that's impacting our revenues. So our revenues are going to be a little bit softer. And, you know, we're doing initiatives like uh, uh, continuing the gas tax cut. You know, that's 5.3 cents a liter uh, combined with other things. That's 10 cents a liter relief at not only the pumps, but people who grow the food and transport the food and sell the food. So, you know, that's that's obviously obviously an impact uh, by by not uh, imposing that tax uh, on on gas uh, impacting our revenues. But it's the right thing to do, given the environment that we're in. Well, let me ask you this, because another two and a half billion dollars was also put into the contingency funds that the provincial government has. That's now more than five billion dollars. Why not use that money? Because so many Ontarians, as you know, are struggling to make ends meet. Why not use that money in some capacity? Well, we are using the money and uh, you know, we have an unprecedented uh, amount of investment in healthcare, and education, social services, uh, infrastructure. So, so we're making those critical investments. Um, that's, uh, but th- that's definitely the case. And uh, uh, we, we, but at the same time, I'm a private sector guy. You know, we have to always have a little bit in reserve. We don't know what's around the corner. Uh, potential, uh, you know, uh, uncertainties, as I just mentioned, geopolitical, economic. Um, and so it's always prudent to have on a $200 billion budget, 2.5% uh, contingency is, is uh, quite reasonable. And uh, any prudent manager would do that. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Ontario Finance Minister Peter Bethlen-Falvey. And we're talking about the fall economic statement here on GMH. 
The plan to build one and a half million homes because we we need it and more some. Uh, it seems like projections are going to fall short of that. When it comes to building homes, how can we do it better and faster? You know, uh, a great question. You know, the the good news is the housing starts are greater than what we projected, uh, which is based on private sector forecasts just in the budget in March. Uh, the challenge, though, is that it's still far short of what we need with the population growth and so forth. I was very pleased. I've been calling on the federal government to provide the HST rebate on rental purpose-built uh, apartments, and uh, they agreed about a month ago. So we announced uh, two days ago that we're, we are putting our 8% portion up, and they're putting their 5% portion up. That means 13% relief on the price of a rental unit if you build one of those. And I've heard from builders who are saying that's game-changing. Now, good on the federal government on that, but the carbon tax is really hurting Ontarians. We saw them do something for Atlantic Canadians. We need them to pause the carbon tax for Ontarians and put a pause on the home heating uh, carbon tax where 97% of Ontarians heat with natural gas. Uh, we need relief, uh, and the federal government, uh, we're doing our part. We need them to do their part. would be nice to get some relief in that regard. Uh, Minister Bethlen Falvey, wish we had more time, but we're plumb out of it. I appreciate your time this morning. Well, I'm happy to uh, be with you this morning. Thank you, Rick. <laughs> Peter Bethlen Falvey is the finance minister with the Ontario government. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Earlier on in the show, we chatted with Finance Minister Peter Bethlen Falvey about uh, some of the items in this statement, including uh, plans for a an infrastructure bank to pay for some of the big ticket items in our province, building more transit and roads and hospitals. But uh, we're also hearing this morning from Global's Queen Park, uh, Queens Park Bureau Chief Colin DeMello, who's saying that uh, the statements also suggest the province is short of building one and a half million homes over the next 10 years. Listen to this. But I think the big fear here is, look, housing starts are down. Developers aren't building because the market is, isn't that great. The capital isn't there isn't a lot of money right now to build anyway. So could this public infrastructure fund go towards the construction of housing? Well, the Minister of Finance seemed to indicate that is the case, and that could be problematic if, you know, your money and my money is going towards paying for million-dollar homes, essentially. No one wants wants to do that, do they? Marit Stiles is the leader of the Ontario NDP and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Ms. Stiles, good morning. How are you? I'm great. Good morning, Hamilton. Uh, This infrastructure bank, I mean, on the surface, it sounds like it could be productive in building things that we need, but should it be used to build homes? Well, you know, I, well, first of all, I think there's just far too few details right now about this infrastructure bank uh, thing. Um, The the federal government has a similar uh, thing going on and it's not being very successful, actually. So I'm I'm not really sure uh, how the government thinks it's going to work. Uh, who's going to run it, I think, is a really big question that people should be asking right now, especially given uh, how the government, uh, the Ford government, has sort of appointed a lot of their insiders to run these things uh, and the scandals they're mired in. Uh, could it build affordable homes? I mean, at the end of the day, what we've been calling for is we do think that the government should be involved in helping to build homes, but what they should be doing is building a nonprofit uh, non-market homes, like affordable homes, like co-op housing and uh, supportive housing. That's where we really need to see the government invest in a big way and fast. Can you do that with traditional developers or do we have to get creative? I mean, I think you can always do these things, obviously, 
developers have a role to play for sure in, of course, building the housing, the one and a half million uh, housing or houses or homes that we're going to need. But but really, yeah, there's no way that we can expect private developers alone to do this stuff. Uh, that's why, you know, governments in the past, up until 30 years ago, we built a ton of uh, affordable non-market homes in Ontario. And then in under the Harris years, it stopped. And uh, that was a big mistake because we'd be a whole lot better off right now if we had more of that stock. Um, so we can do it. We have a plan called Homes Ontario that we've proposed to the government. Uh, and we are hoping that they uh, can maybe help us to move that forward. I asked uh, Finance Minister Peter Bethlen-Falvey earlier on in the show about this uh, additional $2.5 billion that has been plunked into the contingency fund, which is now worth more than $5 billion. And I said, why not put this money to you know, people who are struggling. And he basically said, you know, any good financial expert is going to have a contingency fund. I'm not sure it has to be that big. Your thoughts on this fund? Yeah, well, what they did is they added an additional two and a half billion. So now we actually have a $5.7 billion contingency fund. They're just padding it. And, you know, I heard the government yesterday say, well, it's there for a rainy day. Well, hello, the storm is right now. It's on us. And I think that the government should be using that money to help offset some of the impact of things like, you know, the healthcare crisis that we're experiencing. Uh, and and the fact that they would instead decide to kind of hoard all that money, it just doesn't make sense. And I think it speaks to what where this this whole um, mini budget went really, really wrong. It doesn't meet the moment. People in Ontario are feeling really set back by you know, the rising cost of rent and groceries and mortgages and everyday essentials. And there's really nothing in here that helps people uh, right now who are really struggling. Inflation is still high. Interest rates uh, by uh, association are still high. We know that we need more affordable homes. We know there's a shortage of skilled laborers. We know that there's talk of a recession sometime soon. Is the worst still to come? Well, I'm afraid it may be. And I think that the problem that is that this economic update that Mr. Bethan Falvey provided doesn't even mention the word affordability. So it does nothing to actually support people who are struggling right now. And as I said, you know, the government is is pretty distracted, I will tell you right now, having been in the legislature every day this week. Uh, they are, you know, mired in a corruption scandal around this land use stuff, the Greenbelt and other examples. And I think they're trying to distract. But the truth is that they're just they're just really taking time and money and effort away from you know what they should be focusing on, which is they should be focusing on uh, providing some uh, actual affordable housing for the people of this province, uh, addressing rent, you know, skyrocketing rent with rent control. And uh, instead, they're kind of very they seem to be more distracted by trying to help their friends get rich. And I, I just think that their priorities are all wrong. Uh, being in Hamilton and in our last minutes, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about Hamilton Center MP. Sarah Jama, is she ever going to be welcome back to the party? And have you smoothed over the perceived divisions within the party? You know what? We are. We're look. I I, I know um, that uh, Sarah is going to continue to uh, work hard for the people of Hamilton Center. Uh, our office is working with them to have a smooth transition to make sure she can keep serving her constituents well. Uh, and I I really feel confident we'll be able to work on a lot of issues together. Um, we are. You know, we share this many of the same values. So I'm sure we will keep working together. And you know, we we know that the people of Hamilton Center deserve you know good representation, and they're also going to get. The from the official opposition NDP every day in the legislature. Ms. Stiles, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. 
My pleasure. Thank you. Mart Stiles is the leader of the Ontario NDP. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. By now, I'm sure have known about the provincial government's flip-flop on things like the Greenbelt expansion, on the urban boundary expansion. And there's a lot of people who are celebrating those two moves. But there are also a lot of people thinking, well, I mean, that's going to put a damper on the plans that we had to build homes. And I'm talking about developers who had plans to, you know, boost the housing supply in this community and, well, really throughout the province. Conrad Zarini is a broker of record with Remax Escarpment and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Conrad, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm fantastic. There are, good. there are three projects in particular that I'll point to initially. One's on Whitechurch Road near the airport. There's one on 20 Road, one in uh, Alfreda that have all been wiped out. We're talking like 10,000 potential homes. That is, that's a big hole to fill all of a sudden. Yeah, there's no question. We're in this uh, interesting environment in Ontario. I call it the stroke of a pen market uh, where a you know, stroke of a pen can change uh, fortunes to, to stagnation. And uh, yeah, it's, it was uh, quite a blow to the city of Hamilton in terms of supply. I know a lot of people were caught off guard with the situation. So it's a matter of uh, what's going to happen next in terms of um, more lobby effect. Are just uh, builders going to abandon um, and developers going to abandon some of those projects? Are they going to look to other areas? Um, because it seems that the city and the province is looking at density within the urban boundary. So we might see more of that uh that density happening and more of those types of projects. But it's a it's a definite shift uh, in Hamilton, for sure. All the while, because this decision to open up Greenbelt lands and to, um, you know, have communities expand their urban boundary, I mean, that happened about a year ago. I would imagine a lot of work from the developer side was put into, okay, let's get going on these projects. Yeah, a lot of strategy here, because, uh, you know, we've had some... Uh, Tremendous growth in, in development in Hamilton uh, throughout the years, and it's been steady and constant. We've never seen this type of a shakeup in a long time. So what's what's happening is a lot of developers and builders are kind of insulating themselves from some of this risk. You know, they're syndicating, they're, they're doing syndication purchases where they're spreading, you know, the purchases over, you know, let's say 10 to 12 parties. Um, now you're going to see the rise of the joint venture because there is that insecurity about about some of these uh, parcels and and there are some people that wanted to sell their you know some some individuals that had opportunities to sell their their holdings that they had for a long time now they're not going to see that money and they might see more of a joint venture which would mean that they would they put their land inside a joint venture and then wait to see if there is a change uh, in this uh, in this government initiative in the next five to ten years so it just postpones all of that and it postpones a lot of growth that we would have had. Uh, over these next five years. My guess is eventually, and I'm looking at maybe 20 years, 30 years down the line, where we'll probably be forced to expand outwards as opposed to upwards because a lot of the spaces within town that we're now focusing on to build are going to be filled up. Will these developers who own these lands keep them? Will they try to offload them? I guess it depends on their situation. Yeah, it's true. Like it depends. And, and I, I know there's some partnerships out there on pieces of land that, you know, there's, let's say there's three partners on a piece that everybody's got a different, uh, you know, there are different ages, uh, different uh, strategies. So I think those pieces that you see uncertainty with the ownership will probably uh, change hands. But we've got some deep pocketed developers in the city that, uh, you know, these are legacy lands, uh, you know, generational lands. So they'll, they'll probably hold 
uh, and their families will, will probably develop them. Their, their, their kids and grandkids, in some cases, uh, will, will develop these lands. So, yeah, I don't see a thing, of, you know, a huge amount of changing ants. And I will say, because of the uncertainty, we've seen, uh, of all the land categories, industrial, commercial, and residential, we've seen a lot of uh, stress on residential lands. And I feel residential lands have dropped in price um within the last year and with this uncertainty we haven't even seen it bake itself into the market unlike industrial lands which has gone up and up and up over the last uh, ever since the pandemic so yeah there is some softening on pricing so i i don't think these developers if they don't have to will be cashing out right now they're they'll, they'll wait for the next round our guest on good morning hamilton on 900 chml is conrad zarini broker of record at remax escarpment we're talking about the provincial government's about face on the urban boundary expansion it has certainly um caused some consternation for developers who were hoping to uh, build on those lands so now we're, we're looking within we're looking in the city of hamilton and we know that there's land available to build on. Are is most of those pieces of land already spoken for? Developers already own this land. You know, developers really focused on Alfreda and and those areas, bigger tracts where they could kind of control uh, what was going on with the development. So you know, there's like Alfreda is a great example of of bunch of developers got together and, and they they kind of meet on a regular basis and they're they're quite cohesive in terms of what they're doing. Most of those other lands that you're speaking of within the city are more fragmented and not not held uh, by single developers. And, you know, you'll have to rely on an assembly and, and individuals. Interestingly enough, I don't know about a month ago, I don't know if you uh, discovered it, but there was a application on Rymo Road that didn't have enough density and the city opposed it. So you're now seeing the city. Uh, pre-designate some of these lands and and kind of um, fast track some of these lands to be more uh, more high density. So you'll you'll see this ebbs and flows. Again, it's smaller pieces uh, could could require assembly, um, but eventually, yeah, we will we will have eaten up all that uh, land within the urban boundary uh, in terms of that um, quite quickly. So something's going to have to give. I think it's just this is a temporary measure. It's very political right now. It's a hot potato. And I think, uh, you know, the Ford government wants to show that they're doing something, um, you know, and, and they, they're being very proactive with urban sprawl and, and you know, some of the discussions of, um, you know, cleaning up their act and cleaning up uh, how the Ministry of Housing handled things in the past. So that, that's probably the biggest part of this whole thing. It remains one of the hottest topics in town and beyond. Conrad, thanks for sharing your insight into it. Well, thanks for having me. Have a great day. You too. Thanks. Conrad Zarini is a broker of record with Remax Escarpment, offering his thoughts on Hamilton's uh, ever-changing urban boundary plans. And uh, we're back, I guess, to where we were, and plans for developers are being tweaked uh, as we go. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. So there's this Hamilton guy who encountered a bizarre scenario while recently cycling in a bike lane in the city. I mean, bike lanes are made for people who are getting to and fro on their bicycles, right? Hence the name. Well, our next guest is a local resident who shared his experience on X, including a photo of what looked like a very beautiful sunny fall day. But what he encountered was anything but a beautiful sight. Chris Ritzma is that cyclist, and he's also a walking and transit advocate, a community member, and a Ward 2 resident, and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Chris, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm well yourself. I'm good. I'm not going to do your your uh, tweet justice, so I'm going to have you explain what you encountered. 
Yeah. So, I mean, this is a pretty common thing I see on uh, the bicycle street uh, or the bicycle lanes on Bay Street. Uh, you know, I often see drivers driving in the, the bi-directional bicycle lane and uh, I saw it again. And uh, as I was biking south on, on Bay Street away from the lake and uh, he, he was dropping somebody off in the bike lane, uh, which is like, you know, separated from the street. And uh, I, t- I told him uh, he had to get out of my way because he asked me to get out of my way. And so you're both saying you got to move. What happened next? Well, I am in the bike lane, so uh, he ended up uh, backing up, and I, <laughs> I made him back up all the way. How how far did he have to back up? Uh, it was only about a, maybe 100 meters or less, maybe just from uh, the front of uh, First Ontario Center there to Market Street in front of Jackson Square. Wow, uh, 100 meters too far, in my opinion. That is for sure. Did did he offer an explanation of why he was there? I'm, he didn't really explain. He was uh, more uh, mad at me. Uh, he was obviously dropping someone off because he, he dropped somebody off in the bike lane. I saw him do it. But I don't know why he had to do it there. I've seen people do it in front of First Ontario Center where there's a, a drop-off lane. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned this is quite common. I'm, how, how regularly does this occur? I mean, I use this to get uh, to and from work, to do a lot of stuff in the city, and I see it happen... You know, I would say probably conservatively a minimum once or twice a month. Um, but if I'm seeing it that often, it's definitely happening more. Absolutely. And is it just taxi cabs or just vehicles in general? I see uh, taxi cabs, uh, all kinds of vehicles, vehicles trying to travel the wrong direction on, on Bay Street, uh, taking advantage of the bike lane. Wow, that is crazy. Chris Ritzma is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Was cycling in the bike lane uh, going southbound on Bay Street. Came across a taxi cab who was dropping off a fare in the bike lane and then forced the cab driver to back all the heck up. Um, you also offered a side note. There was another guy in the sidewalk who helped you out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think people are, are starting to recognize the importance of the bike lanes uh, for, you know, both people like myself, but also families trying to get from, from place to place. And, uh, you know, people are getting angry when they see people blocking the bike lanes because they see people on the sidewalks and they know why they're on the sidewalks because they can't use the bike lanes. So more and more cyclists you're finding are saying to heck with the bike lanes. I'm just going to stay on the sidewalk because I mean, we're not going to have a vehicle on the sidewalk. Yeah, exactly. And they feel safer there. And, uh, and you know, most people uh, don't want to get hit. I've, I've been hit by a car. It's not fun. Uh, has Blue Line responded? This was the taxi cab in question. No, I, uh, I tweeted them and I tagged them uh, to kind of bring attention to it. But I also called them so maybe they could explain themselves. And uh, I haven't received a phone call back yet. I left my phone number and my email. Well, well maybe, uh, maybe that'll happen within the next couple of days. When, when did this happen, by the way? Uh, it happened on... Uh, I think it was Wednesday. Wow. Okay. So still no response. Um, from a from a cycling community, are are we doing most things right? I mean, this is a pretty odd occurrence. But at the end of the day, I know there's not enough bike lanes. We've talked about this in the past. But are we are we getting better at least? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, if I'd lived where I live now, uh, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, I, I probably wouldn't actually have biked around. You know, Basic stuff like Cannon Street, Bay Street, uh, and even some of the some of the lanes on the road uh, just provide me, me and you know other people I know with ways to get around. Um, I do drive, but my main mode is, is bicycle because uh, it keeps me active 
it uh, keeps me outside and it's honestly just the fastest way. But I think we're going in the right direction, but we still have a lot of work to do. Local cycling advocate Chris Ritzma is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Is there a particular bike lane that you feel the safest? It's constructed well, the drivers behave. Is there one that exists in this city? Uh, not really. Um, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you know, I would like to say, you know, something like Hunter, Cannon, or, or Bay is kind of, you know, the creme de la creme of bikes, bike lanes in Hamilton. But, you know, when you ha- have people driving in them, including the wrong way down the street, you know, the opposite direction from cars or parked in it or dropping people off, uh, you know, it forces you out, out onto the street or forces you onto the sidewalk. And it doesn't really feel like it's, you know, like anything is actually for you as a cyclist. Kind of defeats the purpose of having the bike lane in the first place, doesn't it? If cars are driving there, I mean, geez. Yeah, I mean, I compare it to like if the highway was closed like 40% of the time, but you didn't get any warning and you just had to get off the highway and figure out your the rest of your travel. Yeah, absolutely. Chris, uh, thanks for sharing your story and uh, safe travels. Thank you very much. Chris Ritzma is a cycling, walking and transit advocate here in the city of Hamilton. Came across a taxi cab in a bike lane. He was traveling on Bay Street and cab comes up and is parked in the bike lane, dropping off a fare. And Chris and apparently a guy on the sidewalk are saying, no, we're not getting out of the way. You get out of the way. You back all the heck up. And so the cab backed up about 100 feet or so and off they went. And Chris was off on his way. Unbelievable. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We are getting ready for playoff football in the Canadian Football League. And after going 0-3 against the Alouettes this season, the Hamilton Tiger Cats will visit Montreal tomorrow afternoon in the East Division semifinal. Pre-game show here on 900 CHML and the Ticats Audio Network is at 2 p.m. Kickoff is at 3. And join me for the fifth quarter brought to you by Eastgate Ford in and around 6.30-ish. Unless there's, you know, quadruple overtime. Uh, Bo Levi Mitchell is certainly ready for postseason play. Something about CFL playoff football, it's exciting. Um... That's why I play this game. It's why a lot of the guys in that room play this game. So uh, you get that cold air, and uh, the ball gets a little bit harder and, you know, a little bit harder to throw. But guys glove on makes it more fun for me. Our next guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is a former all-star receiver in the CFL, now an analyst with the Ticats Audio Network. Andy Fantuz joins us here on GMH. Andy, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. So we're going from regular season mode to playoff mode from a player's perspective. You've been in this mode uh, for for many years during your your CFL career. Is there anything different? (laughs) Uh, There certainly is. It's, uh, you know, you you work on a goal with uh, uh, dozens and dozens of people for a whole year, and it really all comes down to this. So there's just an elevated level of excitement, of energy, um, in the locker room, on practice, within the like the front office, the, the just everywhere you go around the community, it's just everything is just heightened. So it's important to enjoy and have a lot of fun, but but and keep loose with it because um, you know you don't want to you don't want to let let the moment become too big and, and and get in your head where you can't like trust your preparation and your athleticism and and all the work you've done to get here. Um, you just gotta you got to enjoy it, but you got to be able to relax and and uh, and focus on you know how you go about 
treating every every football game. Are those emotions easier to handle in year like ten for a guy like Ted Laurent, Simone Lawrence, Bo Levi? They've been they've been there, they've done that, as opposed to a guy who hasn't really had an opportunity to enjoy this moment. Tyreek McAllister, for example, would not have played a CFL playoff game before tomorrow. Is is the awareness of the situation easier as you uh, continue to experience this year in and year out? <clears throat> Well, if you can tell by my my energy, it's uh, it still hasn't gone away. <laughs> on the team, so, <laughs> but no, I think I think it does help a bit, and, it, and, in, and I think Hamilton has an advantage in that in that a category because they have some leaders on the team, and they're and those guys are able to both vocally and uh, by example kind of lead the younger players in in how to approach this game. Um, now, everybody's going to be hungry. Everybody's a pro, and uh, it's. You know, even if you're a rookie, at this point in the season, you feel like you belong and you're just like anyone else. Um, but it is important to have those vets who can kind of uh, lead the path. Andy Fantuz is an analyst with the Ticats Audio Network and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML as we break down tomorrow's playoff game between the Tiger Cats and the Alouettes. You can hear it right here on CHML. The pregame begins at 2, kickoff is at 3, and you can join me for the fifth quarter brought to you by Eastgate Ford after the game. We know that come playoff time, mistakes are magnified uh, more so than during the regular season, which we know are always a big factor in whether a team wins or loses. When a team makes a mistake, because no game is perfect, is is the team that rallies around themselves after that mistake happens is the team that's going to be more often than not successful at the end of the game? Well, certainly that's one way to look at it, but it depends on how many mistakes you make. Um, it, it, when you're going against a team like Montreal, who who has thrived on those mistakes caused by other teams, they're, they're lead the league in defensive and special teams touchdowns. Uh, and they're they're just that gritty team who seems to always get a get a, a boost from someone other somewhere other than their offense. So uh, yes, it is. You got to be able to flush whatever happened in the past, whatever happened last play, and refocus uh, to what's up next, the next play, uh, what's happening in the moment. And that team will be more successful. Um, but it's against Montreal. It's just it's going to be just critical to. Uh, try to eliminate those like those turnovers and any uh, discipline issues that are unforced. We learned very early on this week that the Tiger Cats will be using two quarterbacks in this game. Head coach Rolando Steinauer said, yeah, both QBs are going to be in, meaning Mitchell and Matthew Schiltz. What did you think of that announcement early on in the week, and how do you think it's going to play out tomorrow? Honestly, I was uh, I, I, I like the announcement. Um Based on what's happened so far this year, and especially last week, it, it, Hamilton started starters have had a tough time handling the pressure of Montreal, and you know that they're going to dial up more and more blitzes, um, especially if Bo's in there. So having a guy like Schultz be able to come in, or uh, well, you know, it's to be determined how much he's going to play. But I like the fact that he can not only move around in the pocket and scramble, but also, if needed, pick up the first down uh, or some crucial yards with his legs and be physical at the end of runs. Um, I, I like that, especially against a team like Montreal. And Bo is, you know, he's, he's been slowly getting back to his, his form because um, of his unfortunate injuries, but he hasn't had enough real game time yet. And so I was, 
you know, I was pleasantly, um, I, I, I was, I was like relieved in a sense to, to hear that they're planning to get Matthew Schultz in the game, and I wouldn't be surprised if he plays uh, more often than we think actually at this point from a strategic standpoint i i i was expecting coach o earlier this week to say you know bo levi's our guy all the while in the back of his head thinking yeah we're gonna play schiltz as well just to keep montreal i don't know if they'd be surprised come saturday if they saw schiltz on the field but not play that card right away yeah that's true that's true it, it could be in my game i mean with that announcement there could be something like uh like maybe maybe it's the opposite. Maybe Matthew starts and Bo comes in, or or maybe Matthew doesn't play at all. Mm-hmm. He just said that to force Montreal to have to prepare against a running quarterback. Um, there's lots of ways those mind games can play out, uh, but I I do expect Matthew Schultz to be in the game, um, especially if things aren't clicking like right away. If Bo if Bo does start the game, it's going to be a fun game to watch. Are you gonna? Can you offer a prediction? Uh, I think it's going to be a tight matchup in, in the 20s, and, uh, of course, I'm going to go with the Ticats. I'm with you on both those fronts. Andy, enjoy the game. Thanks for the time this morning. Thanks, Rick. I really appreciate it. Andy Fantuz, analyst with the Ticats Audio Network. He knows a thing or two about uh, football, starred in the Canadian Football League for years, was an all-star with the Ticats and Saskatchewan. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.